I mean, we kind of brought you, we asked you to come on because you have a background with swimming and cycling mm-hmm. and general fizz. Yep. And we just thought we would, excuse the pun, dive in. Same, boom, boom, like it. All of that. Like <laughs> yeah, and, and Sean was a, a swimmer in his younger days. So I'm sure there'll be some conversations that you two will have. But yeah, I'll be like, yeah, I'll just watch. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a, I'm going to I'm going to so some of some of my friends dabble in listening to this they it, it's a funny one because people who you know really well can't really listen to you talking about stuff that isn't the type of banter that you would have just as friends <laughs> so they're like oh you sound really posh on that podcast you are you put put on your posh voice maybe I do but anyway there's a um I think in the first episode we did when we started last year, I did mention that I used to swim when I was younger to a reasonable level, to a national level. Nice. Um, and I had a message from one of my friends who said, it took you 18 minutes to mention that you used to swim because there's a running joke that I always mention. Oh, did you know I used to swim? Oh, I used to swim, you know, and I'm 43 now. And I stopped swimming competitively when I was 16 but do you not think that it like forms such a large part of your identity because you spend so much time, especially to get to a national level, the amount of time that you spend at the pool and those formative years of your life are spent at the swimming pool with your parents taking you everywhere, doing competitions. Like it's a huge chunk of your life at all points of the really important parts. So of course it would be like that. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Um, and we have talked about it before in terms of the... The, the sacrifice to get to that level whilst you're going through not just like school pressures but you're actually you're growing and developing as a human from yeah. the age of let's say I'm talking about seven or eight until 16 yeah that's literally <laughs> your entire development yeah. um and I used to get up three mornings a week go swimming before school do five five sessions sort of four, four during the week and the big one on a Sunday for the best part of 10 years of my life. Yeah, it's huge. And then you lose your weekends as well because your weekends are at galas and they're, you know, kind of go, going up and down the country. Um, in the Northeast, we had the, um, the Northumberland and Durham's as it was in the 90s, uh, the yeah. N&Ds, and then you had the NECs, which is the Northeastern Championships, and then that went to the Nationals. Um, and it was a big part, it was a big part, but... People don't see that. No. People weren't there. And they don't and I think swimming is different again because of access to the water. So like if you train in a lot of other disciplines, like you can if you go need to go out for a run, you can kind of go out for a run whenever you need to. Um you don't always have track access, but there is more of it and more scope for that kind of thing. But when you're swimming, they have all the public sessions drilled in first and then you have to fit in either later on in the evening or first thing in the morning and it has to fit around school. So it has to be early enough that you can get back and have some breakfast or go and go straight into school. But it also has to be later in the evening, like just the timings for swimming are really tough. And then the locations of those swimming sort of pools. So I was never national level, but my brother, both my brothers, the whole family swims. And I learned to drive by driving my brother to training every day in Bath. It was a 20-minute journey for me to do uh, there and 20 minutes back. And I had to go up a hill called Brass Knocker Hill, which is 
not the one. Um, but I learned to do hill starts as a result of taking him to training all the time. Because by that point, I'd kind of left my swimming career because it's quite cutthroat, as I'm sure you're aware. And also, as a girl, having chlorinated hair all the time when I wanted to go out and socialise, really cut into my social life. Priorities, yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, you kind of get to 15, 16 and the world opens up a little bit and the chlorinated swimming pools don't necessarily fit Is green, green not a good look? Uh, well, you, you, you don't. Do you remember the time that my hair went green? Vaguely, I think. Possibly, yeah, like, I don't. I've seen pictures. Like all up to here. and like, like basically, I had to have it cut into a bob in order to be able to maintain my hair, so... But that was a poorly cared for pool. But yeah, like it's 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 quite it's quite uh, particular, isn't it, in terms of the timings and then yeah. the dedication from everyone else to support. So it, it takes a lot. So I, I don't think that if you understand sport, I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing to talk about. It's no different to like people with careers that they've done for a really long time. They might use that identity as something to have face with, I guess. Yeah. It's funny. I don't want to use this as any sort of form of therapy um <laughs> but we're going down that route um just in terms of that it has become a running joke about oh, did you used to swim because you never mention it you mentioned it all the time which i don't i didn't realize i did but maybe i did because of what you said in terms of being a part of my life but actually the legacy of that which you know i stopped swimming competitively like you say at the age of 15 16 because you get to a point in your life where you have to make a choice yeah. about do i want to am i good enough to pursue this and i swam with people who did go on and swim in the olympics and then you just need you, you think no i'm not so i'm going to have to study from a gcses because i'm going to need to get a job yeah and that's the point it's but almost my, like a like you, you feel like there's some unfinished business as well like like there's like a you have to choose between the two so I, I I did a lot of a lot of sport growing up and I still I Irish danced as a little segue um, um but we we couldn't justify the travel for like an hour each way a couple of times a week the sport was extremely expensive so I had to make a choice and now I'll talk about the fact that I Irish dance because I feel like I kind of I, I was winning competitions and stuff but I never got to get to my full potential because I kind of had to make that choice or my parents made that choice for me um and then like so it's kind of like this lost identity that I try and claw back every now and again um and I, I feel a little bit like that with my swimming like I so I I started coaching really young I really love the coaching side of things so at like 13 I was on the poolside every Friday evening coaching the young kids they put me through my level one as soon, so obviously I wasn't actually coaching I was just assisting on poolside they're getting fully immersed in that kind of poolside routine and watching how people grew, like from the tiny little kids and then feeding them, because I worked in a club, feeding them into the main squad, like such an, a sense of achievement at every stage that for me, that kind of overtook because I wasn't good enough. I was very good, but not good enough. I like I then drilled myself into the teaching and coaching side of things because I got more bang for my buck out of that. Whereas with the actual training itself, I was, there's always like a popularity contest in any sporting environment, right? And like coaches' favourites kind of will go and then your next lot down, even if they're like just on the, like in the same sort of boat, they'll go next. It's um like, it's just a natural thing with people. So I was kind of always just sat on the precipice and then the coaching thing, I kind of got 
uh, taken under uh, my head coach, the new head coach at the time. He was like, I want you to run with this. This is really cool. So I started taking our development squad and that, that kind of allowed me to uh, get, get my feet fully under the table in terms of developing my coaching skills. But again, like I still talk about like, oh, when I was a swimmer, when I did this and, you know, I used to spend like, I will know areas in the country by where the pool is. (laughs) Remember, do you remember that fast pool in that area? And like, you know, like, do you remember when we used to drive to Sheffield and those kind of things? So, yeah, it's it's actually at quite a young age, you're exposed to actually quite a lot of the, the country in terms of geography and where things are which is sure. a kind of interesting byproduct. And you're like, oh, that's, that's where that new eight-lane pool is. Or, that, or they've got a 50-meter pool. And people are like, what? What are you talking about? And yeah. people look at you it's like, funny. are you feeling okay? Why are you talking about swimming pools? And you're like, yeah. because, because facilities are so far and few between. Like, yeah. like <laughs> do yeah. you don't they're, understand? Yeah, they're my compass points. That's how I navigate the world. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I, yeah, and I just think like pools are being closed down left, right and center. So... You remember, like, you've got pools in Bristol, for example, like Jubilee Pool, which is essentially falling apart, and they've tried to, like, save it multiple times. And But a great training facility, not a racing pool, but definitely a training facility. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of remember it by the fact that it had changing rooms on the side of the pool. Like, what's that even about? Um, and then my my home pool, Trowbridge, unisex changing rooms. Nowhere else seems to have that. So, like, there's all these, like, little niche things that you go, like, oh, yeah, so that pool, do you remember when we did that? And I, I'm like nine years old why do I remember that are you old enough to remember the open air pool uh no again so my mum uh was is, is a is a swimmer um and she was from Chippenham so had Chippenham open air pool and she she still tells me about how she was a lifeguard in the summer at Chippenham yeah. pool. do you remember ah uh, so I remember this and we used to and I'm like mum I've heard this story like 10 times but it's such a part, she spent all of her summers there. And then she'd be like, oh, where, because it's the old, it's where Odeon and stuff now is, isn't it? And um, she'd be like, open airport, what? No, no, it's, a, um, it's where Tesco's is now. Oh, I thought That's, it was. Like- no, so, um, so Trebridge geographically, no, no, in Wiltshire, uh, there used to be a big Tesco's, which is now where the Odeon cinema is and where the new Tesco site is, there used to be a BMX track and an open-air swimming pool with wooden diving boards. Oh, my gosh. And there's just the facilities just go, don't they? <laughs> yeah, and for a long time after that closed, you had to use the over-chlorinated tiny pool in Clarendon School, which is one of the secondary schools, and then they built a new pool with the, um, the changing depth of the floor. Yeah. At Trowbridge Pool. Yeah. yeah no so I, I I do just try and I think like and I maybe I'm saying this because I do the same thing like I definitely like hang on to because it gave me such a great load of experiences so I also was fortunate enough to be part of the air training corps and that was a real shaping part of my life but I traveled the country with swimming and running and things like that so again in a different way but even further afield like I went up to Cranwell and you know we did all of these different events so I've been on all these quite prestigious military bases doing my sport because swimming was up before even my brothers both serve and before even they'd done that I've been on Limpston where they do all the basic training for the Marines and I'd swam at that pool Um, and it's a 33 and a third meter pool whoever designed that was not they are they, that was my stomping ground the 33 and a third pools what's that's, wrong with that like why yeah. would you do that <laughs> yeah that's, that was kind of when I was swimming in the kind of early 90s they were just everywhere they, yeah. they're just 
so I I started racing again. I mean, I, I I've just just slightly touched the edge of trying to race, and it's amazing how your body just knows where twenty five meters should be. So I was like, <laughs> okay, I should see the flags now. So and I'm like, I'm I'm knowing it. I'm knowing it. The flags. So I did uh, two lengths of butterfly, so sixty six and two thirds. Yeah. My body knew where I'd got to fifty meters and was like, why are you still swimming? <laughs> please stop this is awful yeah especially at the time so we had so we will move on from the swim love in here um but maybe we had 25 meter pools 33 and a thirds and the 50 meters if you were kind of good and you got to swim at leeds or crystal palace or somewhere like that Mm -hmm. um in the olympic pools as we as we called them um but every week you might have been swimming in a different size pool yeah. So especially on things like backstroke, where you're counting you're counting your strokes more than other other things. If you're doing individual medleys and you get to the flags and you know, I should be at the like you said, I should be at the flags now. I've done I don't know what I'm going back quite a long time now. Uh best part of uh thirty years to to remember this, but you got to the point where I should be seeing the flags because yeah. I've done X amount of strokes. It's muscle memory, isn't it? Yeah. It's like you you know how long it should take. Like I, I know I should be there, and then I was like, "Oh God, that's that's the extra meters." Good. Can I yeah. can I just jump in? Yeah. Those of us that are non-competitive swimmers, yeah, I'm not I, me, or or <laughs> have been competitive swimmers. The flags. I'm guessing this is the markers along the pool side to tell you that you're going to be hitting the edge and you need to turn around in a minute. Yeah, so they sit at five meters away from the wall at each end. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I know that I do four and a half strokes to get from the flags to the wall. So I kind of have to try and preempt by looking to see so I can go five strokes and, and know where I'm going to do my turn. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're a defined distance. The same. The, regardless of length of pool, they're always yeah. five metres from the wall. And same with the black mark on the pool's um, floor. Uh, so they don't they don't, the they don't necessarily show you distance. That's just where the okay. markers are. So if you're swimming front crawl or breaststroke or butterfly, you follow that black line. That's a straight line. It's a bit like in open water, you would sight um, and you would sight on something to get the best line of travel. And the black line will assist you to stay. I mean, for for anyone who is swimming, hopefully a couple of times a week, you sh- I would like to think that you'd be able to sw- swim in a straight line in the swimming pool. It's not quite as difficult as open water um but they are there as a guide if you are having a struggle i guess shows you the center which is really important when it comes to like drag and things like that so when you're competitively swimming sure i'm sure you'll be aware of this like where you're seeded in the lane will have an impact on how you perform and basically when someone swims they get like a, a v of water around them and you can kind of sit on that to a certain degree and which is why they've brought in the lane ropes that they have now which are much bulkier to stop some of that water movement traveling through the lane so when you've got really small pathetic lane ropes like we had down at ctc at the event i did last week um like you get all of the waves and you get all of the draft from the other swimmers which isn't necessarily good if you're not seeded in the right kind of way in the pool you want to try and get this lovely v formation uh so the fastest swimmers are normally seated in the middle of the swimming pool yeah so you you get a little a little bit of a confidence boost and an ego boost if you're in three or four or five in the middle <laughs> the place like, to do yes yes it. i'm the fastest in this heat <laughs> yeah. yeah um it's just going back to something i was going to come on to and i suppose maybe to sort of move past competitive swimming as children <laughs> um, 
so maybe people or Paul might not get bored and people who are listening who have never done that and have no frame of reference can uh, maybe hear something different. I've always, I've always thought that I hated doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, re- like genuinely hated doing it. Hated getting up, hated stinking the chlorine all day, hated not having a weekend because you have two-day meets over the weekend. And you have to be there early. You have to stay late because what if you get to the, you know, the, the later rounds and you have to swim in the final and you just have to hang around all day. I hated it. Looking back, I'm not saying I liked it, <clears throat> but I realized what it did was at an early age, and this is something we've explored and asked quite a lot of questions around across this, this podcast to people we speak to is, it made me realize that, or maybe kind of programmed me to do something, whatever it is, just to sort of have something to do rather than just sit around. Yeah. And my wife says about me, I just can't sit still. Like at the weekends, like, I'll just sit down, have a rest. I always need to be doing something. And I don't know if maybe thinking about it, it goes back to that, those formative years of never actually having a weekend or time where you were just sitting doing nothing for a long time. And I'm actually grateful for that. Yeah. I think coming to. It, it does. It programs like a structure, doesn't it? And then your body gets used to doing and you want to utilize the time because actually what you, what I would find for sure is if I was doing competitions, okay, well that weekend and that weekend are booked up, but this weekend's free. So I want to do something with it that doesn't involve being in a swimming pool. So then you find something and you start to kind of explore still staying busy because you're not sure what to do otherwise like there was a point before the pandemic where it was January end of January and I didn't have a free weekend until November because I'd plan in doing something whether it be like going to Brecon Beacons for a hike or you know I'm working on this day and I'm doing that because you always want to be utilizing your time because you're programmed in with okay well I've got this workout on this day this training bit on this day I'm going to be working and teaching on this day so I'm going to make sure I've got this and it gets a little bit ridiculous sometimes but I do yeah I agree like you're so used to like I would be like 11 12 years old I'd be training seven eight times a week yeah like how do you fit that in more importantly how did my parents fit that in but you know it does pro- i think you're right it does program you your siblings are swimming at the same time so you've got two younger brothers haven't you yeah correct so um we all swam for the same club which was kind of handy and my auntie and my cousins were all like i, I feel like sport if you've got good people around you regardless of whether they're family whatever like people want you to participate in sport so I was really fortunate that if my parents couldn't take me, like I remember on a Friday evening before I started doing the teaching side of things, um, we'd have chicken nuggets, baked beans and pasta, what a meal, um, and then go swimming. But I'd have to wait for my cousins to swim and they'd wait for me. We'd spend essentially the whole evening there. But we were all kind of, it was like a social. Um, Yeah, everyone kind of facilitated that. And then my brothers might go with my mum and dad because it was later and my parents could facilitate that later time, that kind of thing. So, yeah. So, and you said your mum swam. Did your dad swim as well? No. Um, my dad is a northern man who didn't really need a requirement to get into water. Uh, he's in his 60s now. So, like, it wasn't really something that was 
you didn't need it, didn't do it, which is where I think there's a big, there's a big thing about getting everyone involved in swimming. And I think that we put that, or there is a lot of focus uh, perhaps on uh, the demographic that you're from, when actually I think it's more linked to the social demographic that you're from as to whether you swim or not. Um, so there's a big push on getting the black community involved with swimming, which I think is phenomenal. Um, but I actually also think that it's not necessarily only about that when I think about people like my dad, that if you don't have access to a swimming pool or there's no requirement for you to swim, then not everyone puts an importance on learning to swim. So he he didn't really swim. He can do a breaststroke and kind of keep himself going. Um, but he he just is a sports kind of person. Like he ran half marathons in like 125 and stuff. So just happy for us to be doing activities. Uh, so we were re- really, really lucky as kids that we were fully supported by them. But my mum was a synchro swimmer and a swimmer. So she can still do upside down splits, roly-poly, oyster god knows what else it's called and um, stuff even now so she's <laughs> she can do a lot more than the most uh so yeah she's a uh, pretty impressive really it's funny because swimming for me it was part of school i had to learn to swim mm-hmm. uh, and it was so i would cycle into town and and do as a kid actually in my probably early teens if that would cycle into town and go swimming and i can remember Remembering swimming a mile at eight, I think, nice. in Bradford Pool, and yeah, it just loved it. I think swimming is one of those things that people should have to do. It's a life skill. We were always very certain that Toby was going to learn to swim, if for no other reason that it's a skill to have for life. Even if you can just survive a little bit of water before someone can get to you to help. Yeah, yeah. We we actually we we talked a lot about functional fitness and functional Mm -hmm. things and i mean what's more functional than being able to not die if you fall into some water yeah and also like just be able to go anywhere so i've been working with um some professional athletes and a couple of them have approached me from a swimming standpoint because they're like fully grown men and they're like i can't swim and actually i'd just like to feel comfortable on holiday that it's not about being an, an an the next level of swimmer or anything it's just about actually like water makes me feel uncomfortable please can you help me and I think that's that firstly I think that's absolutely phenomenal anyone who wants to do that tap me up because lush um I don't think that swimming should be all about like your national experience Sean like my kind of county regional experience where it's like early in the morning chlorinated all the time thrashing yourself for two hours in the pool like sometimes it is just about getting in the water and having a nice time where you're not concerned that your welfare's at risk. Um, and that's, that's been a really nice addition because I've, I've worked with like, like full end of the spectrum. Um, but mostly in like a young adult and child area. So getting to work with adults who can swim has been really, really nice. So I do my open water stuff with them, but then getting to work with adults that actually just genuinely are really anxious and nervous. I think massive kudos should be placed on that person as an adult that goes, do you know what? I need to get better at this and get somewhere that they feel uncomfortable. Because if you do anything on land, there's a stop button, which is like your legs, or you just don't do it anymore. When you're in the water, if you get out of your depth, then there's the water is the consideration. You can't just stop. So you have to be able to get yourself out of that situation. And I just admire anyone at any age that goes, 
actually, I need to facilitate that skill and I need to do something about it. Um, how do you um, how do you overcome the fear in adults? So for me personally, I go at the person's pace. I think that's the biggest thing is not undermining someone's feelings because I think it's really easy for me as someone who has literally, I, I essentially feel like I could swim before I could walk. So it's it's really easy for me to be like, yeah, but it's just water. It's not a problem. My, my big thing is I try and do stuff that I'm really bad at quite regularly. So I started jujitsu, which is a really skilled uh, martial art and like it's it's just like uncomfortable cuddling I'm terrible at it but I have to learn how to do it and therefore I have to like think about how to how I want to learn and by doing that I can then put that kind of hat on when I work with people that don't know what they're doing as an adult and I think that's quite a, a you can't just expect someone to understand what you're telling them you have to allow for the fear allow for the uncertainty and then just the fact that they're learning a whole new skill alongside that. And by yeah. taking that into consideration, I think that's quite a useful place to start. Well, I, suppose, really. I suppose that's just incorporating empathy into coaching and yeah, being sure. aware. Yeah, just being not, aware. Not everyone is like that. No, um, true. You know, true. and I, that's not to say that I'm really good at it, but I think that I kind of got a bit stagnant at one point and you kind of forget how difficult it is to do something new because I'm very fortunate that my family upbringing has been, yeah, just go have a go at it. Yeah. Just do this. Or my brothers are incredible at anything sporting wise. And we tried loads of stuff as kids. So regardless of whether I've not done it before, I've always done lots of stuff. So there's something I can kind of maybe pull information from. So like, you kind of forget that not everyone has had that opportunity and a lot of people forget that like I've had different coaches like that were like yeah we'll just just do this and I'm like but that's not how I learn I I need to <laughs> monkey see monkey do like please show me and then yeah. you know like your cues aren't working for me so it's it's yes it's right it's having have an empathy but there is there isn't that isn't something that's necessarily across the board I don't think I think that's something that a lot of people could do more of. Yes, not not just within coaching and sport, just generally in the just world. Generally, you know, someone's doing something for the first time, probably just be quite nice about it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> someone's first day at work, probably don't be horrible to them. They're probably just learning the ropes. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And do you do land-based stuff before getting in the pool? So depending on the person I'm working with, so if it's a complete beginner, then not really. We talk about if it's in an open water capacity, we talk about cold water and how cold water can impact on the body, the things you can do to make that experience a little bit more enjoyable for you. Uh, so most of your heat receptors are in your face. So actually, if you're going to get in cold water, splashing your face first will make your body less stressed about getting into that water. Um, because your body goes, oh, okay, well, that's where the cold is. And then it gets in and it's like, oh, well, I'm already used to that, so that's not a problem. And also the fact that the first two and a half minutes will be rubbish. And as long as you kind of go in and you slow down that breathing and you don't panic, two and a half minutes and then you'll settle in and we can get you in. If I'm working with someone who's a little bit higher level, then for sure we'll do some mobilization of the shoulders, we'll squat into the wetsuit so the wetsuit's actually in the right place because a lot of people don't think about Jimmy and up their wetsuit into the right and then they get like the groin is low and the shoulders don't sit in the right place and there's just pulling on the shoulders 
but if you're a beginner it tends to be more the the um climate factors to allow that to be nice and then we go into the land stuff if you're a little bit more developed yeah and is is that temperature the key difference between open water and i guess open water can include lake river and sea yes and i guess that's three whole different types of things to consider yeah and then you've got your pools yeah, yeah. so there's 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 so many factors so like with a pool you only need a swimming costume hat and goggles and you've got warm changing facilities after um there's no kind of difference in the the water is the body of water and there's you've not got any waves to contend with any tides currents so it is what it is so it's much easier um i think I'm I'm from Plymouth. Well, I live in Plymouth. I'm not from Plymouth, but I live and have adopted myself as a Jana. Um, and we live next to the sea. And everyone loves sea swimming. Or the, the crowd I move in particularly loves sea swimming. Uh, but I do kind of remind them, I'm like, if you want to get better, you need to get in a pool. And they're like, but I can do it. And so I'm like, mm, there's too many other conditions to fight against that make it difficult for you to get good and to swim for long enough periods of time and actually, if you could be in a, a pool is, I would say the pool is the golden standard of somewhere to swim. And then you can transfer into the open water. Whereas if yeah. you learn in the open water with a wetsuit on, then getting into a pool, you might really struggle. So I guess that's like, you can learn to tackle in rugby in a game where you've got lots of variables, yeah. which would be the open water swimming with lots of variables, or you can do it in a slow down training environment where it's broken down, which would be like the pool where you can just focus on the skills and the drills and working on your technique, which you can then transfer into the much more movable sea. Exactly. Uh, yeah, no, 100%. And I think both have their place. Like if you only ever do something in practice, then how do you ever know what you're going to do? So like y- you can learn all the skills and drills in the pool, um, I, I would argue that if you get to a certain level that you could absolutely swim over water, no stress. But if you are a borderline novice, you, how do you know that what you do in the pool is then going to be enough that if you get hit by a wave, you're going to be able to take a breath and not chug down half a pint of salt water and yeah. be absolutely uncomfortable. Whereas if you, and if you learn in the sea to start with, then you learn how to fight against those kind of things. You learn how to pull against uh, the water without, you know, without, with the interference, sorry. Um, And then moving into a pool would feel quite dreamy in comparison. So both have their place. But if you want to get technical and get better, you you will never have a bad time doing time in the swimming pool. Open water is amazing, but I think the groundwork. I I don't know. Sorry, Paul. I'm, I'm not saying the analogy's wrong. No, it's fine. I'm just saying it's swimming's, different oh uh, yeah i get that because and it's particularly i'll give you an example um particularly with the um the open water swimming particularly in the ocean and going back to something you said earlier ella about how people like <laughs> athletes aren't comfortable and are scared to a certain extent of the sea they're scared to go on holiday and go in the sea yeah. it's a really scary place the sea the water the ocean and I'll give you an example. We were up in Northumberland over the last few days, just on a little break. And the Northumberland coast, amazing place. Um, just south of sea houses, there's a little bit that juts out just south of the harbour. And there's a, 
there's a weird structure at the end that's caged off that I don't know I was telling the kids it was like some sort of prison for people and you go quite far <laughs> out into into the sea and you go right up past the breakwater for the harbour mm-hmm. and it was quite windy the other day and we were just standing watching it like watching we were on the rocks watching the water come up against the harbour and kind of it had eaten away like under the rocks we were standing on and there were some crevices and little bridges and it was amazing we were just like, wow and it was you know popping up and and I was just standing there watching it and I was just thinking that you can't do anything about the power of the sea there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. You can train as much as you want. If you get trapped, if you get stuck in the wrong tide, and we're quite lucky in this country, we don't have the, I suppose we do in certain situations, but you know, the really big surfing waves with the undercurrents that you get in Hawaii and Australia and things like that. We're fine here, but if you don't know what you're doing in the open water, in the sea, you're in trouble. So learn yeah. how to swim properly first. Yeah. yeah yeah it's um it's it's one of those things isn't it like people and and this is one of my kind of bugbears with some of the uh open water summer summers that so for me whenever I go swimming I'll sit and I'll watch for 10 minutes and just see so specifically where I swim there's a uh the river Plym and the river Tamar come to meet in the local essentially where I swim so you end up with eddies and depending on the tide and an eddies like a whirlpool um <laughs> and depending on the tide you can end up feeling like you're swimming against the current uh on both directions of the swim because the water's feeding in and it meets at a point and then you get this little whirlpool and so you can be swimming north and be against the tide and then swim back south and also be swimming against the tide and if you're not aware of that water and what the, what the wave pattern is and whether the tide's going in or going out, then you can end up, it's, again, like you say, Sean, there's nothing particularly horrendous here. And in the swim areas where we are, they're marked out. If you're sensible with it, you're absolutely fine. But if you are a complete novice and you've got no idea of that and you're really struggling and you're like, what is going on here? Because it's a mid-tide and you've hit the eddies then that's going to make your swim really unenjoyable and a lot harder work. And it's about knowing that actually my ability tells me that I need to stay. And this is using my example here. If anyone looks up Devil's Point on Google Maps, um, there's a, it's a lovely little swim area with a like a tidal pool. You can swim out to what we call the first boy and then the second boy and then come back into land and avoid those eddies and have a really nice swim, but still cover the distance but some people don't respect the water. And it's a big RNLI campaign. I actually have a sticker in my car. Like, just because you're good at swimming or you're strong does not mean you should be jumping into any body of water without really understanding and respecting it first. And I'm to a point where I'm maybe sometimes a little bit overcautious. But I'd rather go for a nice swim than go for a terrible swim and potentially need the RNLI are volunteers. Like, why am I going to waste their money when I could just have a swim the following day and be safe. Like there's always another day for a swim, but there's not always another day for you to like, you know, have a good time if the weather's really bad or the conditions aren't very good. And I do find that sometimes people underestimate and undermine the power, like you say, of the sea. If she wants to take hold of you, she will. So you have to be uh, sensible. I was going to say, there's nothing like floating in the sea to realise how insignificant you are. Yeah. And that's where the mental health benefits come from, right? Like you can just, there's, there's so many, but one of them, and that's been one of my big things 
moving here, pandemic, everything like that, if ever I'm feeling a little bit like the world is against me, I get in the sea and I'm like, wow, I'm so small. I re- like, I am so small. And this is, there's a big world around here. I just need to calm it a little bit. And it's a, it's, it's a beautiful, but almost, uh, terrifying is the wrong word, but like the enormity of what the power of the sea is, is not to be underestimated, is it? Do you think there's a naivety in people who, maybe people you work with, about how, I'm not going to say dangerous because, yes, the sea is dangerous, but you can make it not dangerous <laughs> by doing the right things and understanding your capabilities, understanding the conditions and doing things in line with what you you are able to do. But do you, do you think there is a, a naivety in people about, oh, I'm just going to go on the sea? I th- I think yes. Um, I think that's a big sweeping brush statement, though. There are plenty of people who are very respectful. So please, anyone that's listening, don't think I'm tying everyone with the same brush. Um, but I think that there are, you know, again, my specific area. We have a, we have boys that mark out where sensible to swim, and actually, if you go beyond that, you're in a shipping lane. And there was a group of young lads, and they just carried oh. on past past the boys and like I don't I'd I why well, I shouted <laughs> I must have sounded like a proper neurotic old woman but I was like get into the boys <laughs> because I don't think people necessarily will pay attention to the the area that they're in they're just like well I'm having a lovely time and like they get onto their inflatables and they're not attached to anything and then they just bob off and drift off somewhere and then they can't swim and they're in the depth. And, and again, it's not everyone, but there is definitely a, a, a group of people that are like that. But do they do they actually, in terms of the, I suppose this comes on to my point a little bit, in terms of the, the markings in the sea and the boys and what things mean, is there enough understanding out there or enough information about about those things? Or do you think people just flout the rules and flout the safety instructions because they don't care? I think if you are local to the sea, I'd say a solid 60% to 70% of people understand because they live here, they'll ask questions, there's forums. I'm part of like six different open water forums on Facebook for this local area. So like there's no shortage of information available. Um, I think holiday makers are inherently problematic because they don't necessarily read the signs um like I think people just go oh they've got freedom and they can just do whatever they want um and again that's not all holiday makers please don't think that's that I'm just laughing I am I'm just laughing at that phrase holiday makers are inherently (laughs) well they are aren't they because they park everywhere they take up your stuff and they don't listen to the rules and you know (laughs) has your attitude changed since you've been in uh i would say no because i swam in a lake beforehand um and i'm like i'm a really good swimmer i'm way above average i'm not anything phenomenal but i am way above average and i'd swim in the lake and there was a point where my hay fever was getting really bad and because of the way that the trees are on the water um my hay fever was going crazy and i'd end up having uh basically like panic attacks where i couldn't breathe because my wetsuit made me feel claustrophobic um and I would have to come back to the side but I'd have to like take my wetsuit down halfway to be able to get back because I'd feel like I couldn't breathe uh, which is really stressful as someone who's like a coach a good swimmer 
like safety qualled. Like I, I'm supposed to know what I'm doing, but that doesn't mean that you're not able to be in a situation that's dangerous or difficult just because you've got those qualifications and those kind of accolades behind you. Um, so I, I'm, I've always been quite aware of understanding what the area entails so that then I've got, it comes from my dad. My dad is a former policeman and he's always (laughs) told us to have our escape route planned. (laughs) Like when you go in anywhere, how do you get out? (laughs) The thing is advocating you commit a crime, you understand how to get out. (laughs) I mean, maybe, but like more on like, you know, if there's, if there's something dangerous happening, how do you, how do you get yourself out of that situation? So I think I've been programmed as an individual that if you go somewhere, what's your escape strategy? So like if I'm in the sea, how am I getting out? What have I got? Uh, like when we used to go to the beach as kids and we used to have the beach tent, what's the beach tent in line with so that I can get my way back to the t- beach tent when I've been bodyboarding in the sea? Um, I mean, I've, again, been chucked under waves on the bodyboard and it's like, you feel like you're in a washing machine that's terrifying. And again, like as a good summer. So like, how do I get out of that? Where do I go? What's my point of reference on that? Like at Vobster where I swim when I'm back in Wiltshire, you know, like, okay, so what's the quickest route back? Um, if I'm out in the far corner, how are they going to see me? I, th- I think I've always been brought up to be quite aware in that respect. So I don't necessarily have an understanding. It's inherent. Of yeah, it's, it's just, it's part of how I've been brought up. Thank you, Martin, little legend. Um, <laughs> but so I, I don't, I don't get it when people don't have that, but then I also have to realise that it's not how people, everyone's been brought up. So you kind of have to understand that as well yeah so I don't know I don't think I'm any different from moving here I'm definitely more like stressy about it when I was a kid or like a young adult going to the beach on holiday I'd just be like idiot and move on whereas now because it's like my home I'm like please don't do that because if you're there and I'm like safety quelled and uh, like people know that I'm a coach and something goes wrong you're going to put me in a right little situation because I'm clearly going to come and try and help you (laughs) so please please don't do that um so that I, I'm a little bit more vocal, I think, because of what my role is on there. Um, yeah, I think that's the only thing that's changed is that I'm not afraid to be like, don't do that. Uh, yeah, but and I think that's I think that's fair enough, and that people a lot of people haven't got that like self moderation or self. It's not self censorship but the ability to sort of think and plan what they're going to do. Yeah. So I think, <laughs> yeah, I think people, and I know you, you often will become the person like, oh, this, who's this telling us not to do this, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, that's the person who's going to potentially stop you being killed by a ship. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing that, that it's a really busy area. And like, Anywhere you go, there'll be so like I just went to Torquay, the English Riviera, and I've never been there before. Completely different setup. So, but I looked ahead because I was going to go out. My mum was supposed to be doing triathlon; it got cancelled. So I went to go and meet them anyway, and I was going to do like a little open water session with my mother dearest because high tide and low tide at Devil's Point really matters. As to I alluded to with the eddies and stuff like that, and also just entry and exit out of the water. Like low tide at Devil's Point is quite difficult. It's really like, it's a lot of pebbles and there is a slipway, but then it's not covered and it's got lots of algae on it. So it can be quite like a slip hazard. Whereas at Torquay, high tide, low tide, 
doesn't really matter other than the fact that you're further away from the land at low tide than you are at high tide. And there's not really much else that you need to take into consideration because there's not the shipping lanes, um, the the waves for ships for certain, it's not quite as choppy. So it's a much calmer area to go for a swim. But I've done that research before I've gone there to make sure that I understand what the needs are and what time we should go swimming and what to, you know, what the ground's going to be like. And maybe that's because I'm a coach, but I don't think that a five minute Google search is actually that difficult for people to do no. for safety and not just for safety, but for enjoyment. Like sometimes you don't want to go to a sandy beach to go for a swim. I personally hate sand. Um, like I'd rather go, so, like sand just gets everywhere, doesn't it? And it just like gets in your food. And two days later you take a crunch out of something and there's still sand in there and it's like the worst thing ever. Um, but like you might want to go to a cobble beach, but then you take your Crocs Paul knows I'm a big Crocs fan um, yeah. because that kind of footwear will get you into the water and you're not going to turn your ankle and it's going to be a much nicer thing to do. So it's not even from a safety point of view. It's actually from just having a nice time. Are there beach lifeguards? Is there an ice cream hut by the sea? Do you know what I mean? Like, and then the sea is just one facet of it. Like if you're going to go to a lake, are you actually allowed to swim there? That's yeah. a big one. Like we do not have rights to waterways, which I think we should have. Um, but the entry and exit, is it going to be muddy and grassy? Is there a graduated entry and exit that you can use? Because actually, again, talking about my local area, there's a place called Burrator. Gorgeous, lovely walk. There's some real nice walking area around it. Burrator Lake is absolutely lovely. There's fishing that goes on there, but it's next to a dam. And actually, if you get too close to that, it, you're not allowed to swim there, but if you did swim in it, that could be really, really, really dangerous. Mm. Yep. So, understanding what the setup is in not just the sea you know are there going to be jet skis on a lake and if there are have you got the right equipment with you and um, there's just so much more to it than just the sea and just thinking about it, it can be is it is it like clean water that's another really big one like water quality is so important i again this is the sea and i i was very unwell because when you swim down here there's a uh, the sewage that goes into the sea and when it rains a lot things overflow and yep. I went for a swim having not checked because I was being silly and um I was I spent nine weeks not able to really hold on to anything shall we say nice thanks for sharing <laughs> we'll but it, it's too. a valid point though <laughs> it's a valid point both in terms of river lake and uh, or oh, any other water swimming that if there's been heavy rainfall and chances are the water quality is not where you want it to be. And there's a high risk that you are going to get something that is less than pleasant. Yeah. And you don't want that, trust me. <laughs> no. Because you, know, you just can't trust a fart there. I don't know anything else then. Kerry, if you listen to this, will understand that statement more than most. <laughs> yeah. But... um. We'll move yeah. away before we go yeah, too far. Move now. away from that because um, there's real lived experience, and, uh, and um, that's traumatic. <laughs> but I, I just think what I said before about the information. I know the information is out out there with a five ten minute Google search about okay, we're going here. What are the conditions like? What a again another example from the last few days up in Northumberland. Um, you know, going across to Holy Island to Lindisfarne, you have mm -hmm. to work out the tides you have to know when to cross and when it's safe and that's just to get the car across the causeway but 
if you were on a beach nearby, that's going to be subject to the same tides. Is, is there enough information out there for people? I guess like that question would have to go to Paul then, really, as a non-swimmer, because... Yeah, yeah okay. I'd, I'd, I'd like... I'm, I'm immersed in it day to day, so I don't... So, <sighs> to answer that question, I have a paddleboard, so if we are going down to the coast, I will look to see what the tide times are like, what it's going to be like. Is it worth even taking the paddleboard down? Because if it's wavy, there's no point. Uh, I'm not you know, the world's greatest paddleboarder, so I, I'm not wanting to be on a beach with lots of waves coming in. So we'll check and see if it's suitable. And if it's not suitable for the paddleboard, we'll take the bodyboard down instead. So we do check and see where mm. it's going to be. And we tend to either go down to, to Sydney, which is nice and pebbly. Yeah. Uh, and it's really nice to go down to, or we'll go down to um, Stutland and to Knoll Beach, which tends to be quite calm and is beachy. Um, yeah, but I will check the, the tide times and what's available. You know, I'm an old man now, so I want to know if I can get a cup of tea and something to eat when I'm down on the beach. Is there a toilet nearby? <laughs> you know, these are important things to consider, especially when you've got children. Is there a toilet? There's the sea. Good from you, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> Just get That's the- fine for certain things. That's true. Yeah. That's- well, think about all the sewage that they pump in there. Yeah, I'm sure one more wouldn't matter. <laughs> Standards, people. I mean, I've had an insight into I've never done that. I have an insight into Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I've could never- say the poetry, wouldn't you? You'd be like, oh, shall I just. Oh, there we go. I don't- have I had that no, scene I don't- in the uh, Caddyshack? Yeah. I've never done For a those poo in the sea. No, I've done a poo in the sea. Okay. So moving on from toilets in the sea. In the sea yeah. Let's um, let's just switch gears a little bit because you said about your mum doing a triathlon. Yeah. But you've done a bit more than a triathlon, haven't you? You've done an Ironman. Yeah. How was that? <laughs> um, interesting. Uh, my honest thoughts or my. Well, we're all about honesty and open. Oh, clearly, we've just been about open and honesty. Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> uh, so, um, I, th- I think so. I, 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 I'm not really trained. Um, so, I was supposed to do it in 2020 as a 30th birthday present from my parents because that's the kind of weird behaviour. Oh, happy birthday! Yeah, go happy on birthday! Let's do an Ironman. <laughs> Um, well, to be fair, so I think my dad had always, my, my dad's a real big influence in my life and he'd always kind of nudged the idea of an Ironman. And as, as a kid, I was like, that's never going to be on the table. Like, what the hell? And I got in, I ended up doing a 70.3, so a half Ironman in 2017 and kind of fell into it and did quite well. So I was like, oh, actually, this whole Ironman business isn't off the table. That'd be fine. And um, obviously it got postponed in 2020 uh, and the pandemic had a nice impact on my uh, drinking habits. So I didn't stay very fit. Um, And then I moved to Plymouth. And for me, like moving to Plymouth in a lockdown by myself uh, was quite tough. So I was working out a little bit from home, but didn't know the area. It's really hilly here and I'm not about the hill life. So I didn't really cycle very much. Um, And then I got back into taking my spin classes. So I'm a spin instructor as well. Um, in the May and the event ended up being in the August. So August of 2021. Um, it, w- I, I, it wasn't the worst thing I've ever done. Like it was actually fine. 
Uh, I think it's a head game. And if you've got an ounce of fitness about you and you can swim, I think I have a massive advantage being a swimmer. So please don't let, like think that I'm undermining the, the the idea of it. But I think um, people doing that kind of event can get really lost and caught up in it. And I did a really respectable time without putting myself in the bin and not having a social life. So I'd, I don't, I felt a bit underwhelmed by it, if I'm honest. Um, my half Ironman I trained really hard for. It was the first thing I'd ever done like that. That was great. That was like such a high. If I could bottle that feeling, I'd never have a bad day again in my life. But the full Ironman, the third lap of the run, like was pretty traumatizing. And then I was like, what, this is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. And then I was going past my parents who'd been outside a pub all day. And every time I did a lap, they had a drink. And my dad grabbed my face and was like, I'm so proud of you. And that was like the rocket fuel I needed to get around that final lap. Um, I'd I'd never, I'd never run a marathon before. Uh, The furthest I'd run was like 25 K. That's a lie. I'd done one 20 mile across country, but like in 2018. Um, So I'd never really run that distance. I'd cycled that far before. I'd done a hundred miles. It's 112 miles. Um, Yeah. Like, underwhelming is probably i just that's fine yeah i did, I did it and that, like that's cool but was yeah. it a tick in the box i've done that i, I won't do it you didn't come away going i want to go faster uh, what could i really do if i trained really hard no because i think like when i trained for the half i was training a lot like you have to i was spending hours on the bike at the weekend and I don't, I don't actually want to spend seven hours on a bike on a Saturday to then do three hours of running on a Sunday to then do a swim on a Monday, a swim on a Tuesday, a swim on a Thursday and run bike sessions twice. I don't want to do that enough. Yeah, I understand that. It comes back to what we talked about at the beginning, which is in terms of the competitive swimming thing, in terms of the, those seven, eight sessions, getting up, going swim before school, in terms of why are you doing that? Because yeah. you are okay at this thing and you potentially might win some races and someone's, your coach has said, oh, you're, you're pretty good. You should come and train with the A squad and enter these competitions, which are the ones that will lead you up to the regionals and nationals. But what if you were just okay at it why, why are you doing it? Do you think there was a bit of that in terms of, I'm not going to be competitive at this, so why should I train hard to do it? I'll put, I'll put, I'll put my like, cards on. If I actually trained, I could probably smash it pretty well. Um, I think I've got it in the locker to do, well, yeah, really well. But it's, it's more that, um, so I do a lot of land training to support my swimming now. I'm looking to go back into the swimming more than the triathlon. Um, triathlon's really expensive and I'm a student at the moment. And uh, like trying to fund a 600 quid race is, is tough. And then all of the training that comes with that. Um, so I'm looking to go into master's swimming. That's my next goal, which I'm probably not supposed to, I'm supposed to be manifesting that internally, but that's, that's, that's where I'm going to go. Um, now. And um, I just, I, I really enjoy the social side of training. Triathlon isn't particularly social. So I, oh. I do a lot of S&C stuff in a gym where I work and I have the most phenomenal support network around me 
in terms of we like other people will jump in on my sessions like there's a cafe there after where I train so we'll go and have some food or a coffee my coach is there so my coach is on hand to kind of beast me if I need it I'm a member of staff so I'm then I almost train I I make sure my training is even better because I feel a responsibility within that gym to be someone to aspire is not necessarily the right word but maybe like uh, yeah I want to be I want to lead by example like I'm doing a sports science degree later on in life because I have a passion for the sports side of things um I'm a coach so I should therefore be uh like a good example to those other members of of the gym and the stuff that I do is specific S&C stuff for initially for triathlon because I was going to go back into it um but it's expensive and lonely um you know like not many people want to go out for a 20k run so just just for fun like they'll be training up to that to do an event and then that's them done whereas I need to be putting in like more frequently like a lot of mileage a week and that's also a lot of time out of study and all that kind of stuff and I have to work through my degree so it's just not necessarily achievable right now also there's a lot to be said for leaving endurance stuff to later in life um and I'm still like I am later in life but I'm still pretty like I'm quite young still I'm 32 so it's not like I'm pushing on yet (laughs) um so I've got a few more years of perhaps some like slightly faster Olympic distance stuff maybe some a little bit of sprinting and swimming maybe that would be more beneficial to where I am performance wise and capability wise because once you start going slower it's much harder to then get fast again yeah so um yeah so I think like there's there's a lot more considerations the, the, the financial side for sure I think uh, that's a big thing in sport in in general like there's there's money involved in a lot of activities I really like um so I know your programming pool your guy does stuff like where the programming can be done with bits of equipment from uh cheap or cheaper supermarkets and things and I think that that's a really important thing to have that facility for people but when it comes to things like swimming yeah you can swim in the sea but you can't necessarily knock out the distance or the technique stuff that you need to do. So you need access to a pool that comes at a price. Um, I don't need to have my SNC programmed. I could probably do it myself, but the accountability is really important for me. So having that programmed is really important. So that comes with a cost. Um, and so, so there's a lot of variables that have to be thought about when you're participating in something as to what, what can I afford and what do I want to give? And at the moment training for an Ironman, like, my bikes alone are worth more than my first two cars put together. Like it's ridiculous. Um, and that's not so, like, I, again, I come from a massive place of privilege with the fact that I can even say that. Um, but it's not necessarily, I don't want to get caught up in needing more equipment because that's yeah. just not on the table right now, you know? And I think there's something important you said in there about it being fun and sociable. Yeah. Like my life at the gym is incredible. Like I, I've gone from needing to have a glass of wine to have a social to being able to go down the gym in the middle of the day. And that is my social done because there's such a wide range of people, but all with a common goal of doing active, active stuff. Like you've got people that are rehabbing from spine injuries and stuff. We've got this incredible woman who's like gone from having a massive spine operation to now she, oh, she's an absolute machine. Um, you know, you've got people that are training for 
things like me. So I'm training for cardio-based stuff, but S&C is so important. So I'm in there doing all my accessory work. Uh, but everyone, because you're training to be a better version of yourself, will have a good chat with you. Like the amount of chats I have with women about the menopause and just our hormones and stuff. And like, it's a space where people feel that they can air that because it's an open-minded area. And that's been so refreshing compared to my, my I felt I felt my triathlon training before was quite lonely. So mm-hmm. it's quite nice to do something for now when I'm like trying to study and work all the time, that my social life is through something that's good for me rather than going down the pub, <laughs> essentially, yes. That's an interesting point. You, you mentioned the pub there. Yeah. And I'll go back to something you said a little a little bit ago about during the pandemic, how yes. your training <laughs> halted. <laughs> yeah. If you don't mind me asking, why, why was that? Why, why did you kind of stop training and i know the answer that you didn't have access to a pool you didn't have access to certain things we were all restricted yeah was there a because it seems to me there's something in you that you've got that kind of mindset to overcome Mm -hmm. and it was interesting when you mentioned that and my first thought was oh that's interesting i would assume you would have found a way so i did train i did i did do some working out but i just drank an incredible amount i lost everything <laughs> fair enough but I, I i literally i lost pretty much everything in the pandemic like i had okay. just gone self-employed um in the september of 2019 so i didn't have a full year's books so i didn't get any furlough i i, I went from having a nice paycheck to having nothing i'm a adult i have bills to pay mm. um so, and then I was applying for jobs and everyone's saying the supermarkets are taken on, but the application process is really tough, um, which is mad. Like I've like, it's actually harder to get a job in Tesco than it is for me to have had some of my corporate jobs before, I would say. Yeah. Um, but so I, I had, a, I had three months where I had no income and I was with my parents and my brother, one of my brothers in the military had like there was nothing to do so they were sending them away so that they weren't likely to then cause a mass outbreak within the ranks because if they're all at home and they're doing what the government are telling them to do if they get called back to duty because there's a requirement they're less likely to have had covid because we didn't know what it was blah 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 blah. and we we would just socialize with a beer every day at least well beers every day um you know it'd be we'd get to a point where it's like oh it's 12 o'clock now so we're okay so we'd have done a training session in the morning um but just then there was nothing else to do and you like you'd go out for a walk but we were on we we were really tight with what the rules were in terms of we only left our building like once a day we didn't do any and you kind of I, I had a really nice online yoga community so I was active still but the alcohol consumption was a lot higher and I'm used to going out and doing a 60 mile cycle and you know like we did go out a couple of times on bike rides but again like there was the rumor of the hour time frame and you can't you can't do that in one hour no so like (laughs) just I think I felt quite battered like no income no support from the government uh didn't know when it was going to end like especially with the swimming side of things pools weren't opening even when the rest of the world started kind of opening again the pools weren't opening for me to go back to teach at so I, I didn't have any security or knowledge of when my life was going to return to any form of normal 
Um, so I, I was really fortunate that I got a job in Sainsbury's and that tidied me over for, and that facilitated my move to Plymouth. So everything has a weird and wonderful way of working out. But just the booze for me was like an escapism from the fact that I just really, I I'd, I'd, I'd just had no security and no kind of, um, yeah, just just nothing really. It felt I felt very alone my my family all have public service jobs so they all have their money still coming in and then there's little old me sat there like okay how am I going to pay my bills this month and my family would support me but I don't really like that kind of support so I'd be like right okay well I can use my savings from this and I can do this from this and I've got this over there that I can bring that bit of money in and I can you know like I can cancel that direct debit or I can put that on hold for the three months that we're allowed to do. So I really had to spend a lot of time planning and I'm sure many people will kind of empathize with that because lots of people had real different experiences, but I've always on the side of being an athlete, I've definitely been a party girl. So like I love a good Saturday night (laughs) dance, booze up, whatever you want to call it. And so that's always something that I can fall back on. And I kind of, I fell quite easily back into that way and um yeah it was it was an experience I put on a lot of weight and even though I was training I you know lost quite a bit of fitness so it's taken quite a bit to get back to where I am now but it all I think again as a coach it makes me a better coach because I, I, I get it like you can't stay on the wagon all the time and sometimes life is just a bit too much and actually that's okay like as long as it doesn't spiral it's actually, it's, it's okay. And if it's not paying your bills, why are you getting so stressed about it? If being an athlete is something that is paying your bills, fine. Like get a little bit stressed about your performance. If you're on like literally this far away from it paying your bills, then that's a little bit different. But if you are at my level where it, I'm not, I'm not getting any money from it, then actually it's okay to have a bit of time out. That's not, it's not the end of the world. You will get back. You know, if you get, if you, especially if you move in the right circles. And again, like I'm really fortunate that I have that. Um, but there's, there's a lot out there for you to get back into it. So I think like as much as, I mean, I had great fun, but as much as it was really bad for my training capacity as a coach, it was like a massive eye opener in terms of like it, no, nothing is linear. Like there are bumps all the time and it doesn't matter how big or small they are like everything's relative and you know you have to build that into training and progress and support networks as well so yeah I think that the idea of everyone gets stressed if they can't work out on a day for whatever reason you're like oh I've missed my workout today it's fine isn't it yeah <laughs> it's I fine. mean I did today I went out to go and work out at Actually, you know what? it's not there today. I'm going to have a rest day instead. I'll just take a step back. And I'd arguably say you're one of my most disciplined friends in terms of the fact that you train solo quite a lot and you're programmed. And I think having a program is really helpful. But like you don't have the, so like what I'm talking about with my social side of it, you go in for, I guess, a bit of solace and I don't know, put words in your mouth, but like, it, it's just I enjoy it yeah and you, yeah and it's an enjoyment thing but if you if you if you need a day off if you need a day off and I mean I had the pandemic off I'll be honest but you know That's I, right. I, I come back as soon as the gyms were like online and stuff and it was fine so you know what about injury how do you deal with that side of things because the, the stuff that you've done especially the longer distance things that puts a lot of stress and strain on joints and what have you going on 
um, have a sports massage. <laughs> um, also, like, like if your body is tired, listen so what, to me. What do I do what, with my injuries, though? What I, don't, what I mean is, how do you cope if you've had injuries? Um, oh, well, I mean, I think I'm pretty well poised to have my hip taken apart and put back together. <laughs> um, so I had a hip movement at 21 and an osteoma removed from my femur. So two quite different surgeries where normally with a hip debridement, they'd get you walking straight away. But the osteoma removed from the femur is a big chunk of bone that they take out. And if you put too much weight on it, your femur could snap. So like two kind of opposing surgeries that shouldn't really go together, but needed to. Um, and I, <laughs> I was an idiot. <laughs> Basically, I decided I could run a marathon 18 months later what a muppet um it literally set me back months and months and months uh so i think for me now like when i get an injury like it's about like taking time like doing the little stuff first and yeah it doesn't feel like it's doing anything but actually it'll probably make you better when you go back because don't do what i did (laughs) isn't that the benefit of age and experience because how old were you when you did that you did your hip 21 so you know, you're full of fuck it, aren't you? At the time, I can do it. I can crack on. Full of bravado on the whole, and actually, as we get older, we're a bit more circumspect. We've had a bit more experience. We've done the fuck it, and then oh, I fucked up moments, and we tend to be better. At yeah, it. but also there's way more information. Like there's like podcasts. What were they when I was 21? They didn't exist. So, like, yeah. there's way more stuff online where you can listen to people, have a chinwag about what's going on and what's the... Like, there's so... And, like, social media pros and cons. Like, there's way more stuff out there where you can literally hop onto a, a hashtag or a an account that will talk about things and how to do stuff. Um, until, I guess, my grandma's analogy of if they touch the hot oven, they'll only do it once. You kind yeah. of have to mess it up yourself first to perhaps then understand how to do it. You can take a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. I knew it was the wrong thing to do, but like I will be walking in high heels six months later and I will be running a marathon. Thank you very much. I am totally cool. Like, don't Quite stubborn and determined then. <laughs> Me? Never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think you just, you, like you think if you've always been able to do something, like I've, I've never run a marathon before, but I've done running and... I thought, yeah, I'll be all right. I can do that. And um, you kind of underestimate the toll that kind of stuff takes on the body. Um, yeah, so I just, like, if you get injuries, it's, there's, there's so many elements to it, isn't there? There's the psychological element, there's the physical element. You know, there's the fact that you feel like you might be paying for something and you're not, like, I had to bow out of a, a lot of races. Um, actually, Paul, you'll be aware of this period of time when I got that infection in my foot. Um, yeah. And... Yeah it cost me a lot of money to bow out of those races, but it was the right thing to do because I couldn't have done them well, you know? Um, Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think for me, when I had my big injuries at a younger age, it just affected my identity and who I was. So you were talking about, Sean, you were saying about swimming. Oh, I, I used to be a swimmer. And it was something that you would bring up not aware of it, but you'd bring it up. And certainly for me, when I got injured, it was like, well, I was a rugby player. I'm not anymore. 
but I still talk about it. And actually, as time has passed, it's probably I've distanced myself a little bit from it. But it does. I think injury has an impact on people and how you feel, especially if it's a long recovery. You kind of potentially can lose a bit of yourself to it. Sean, you've been quite lucky because you've not. You've always said you've been quite robust and not been injured. I've never had an injury. Yeah. Touch wood, please. Don't want you to get injured. I think everything but, that's wood around me. <laughs> but then, and I can't remember when we discussed this. Maybe at some point last year, and I did say I've, I've never been injured. I've never done sport at a level where I've had to push myself to the point where I've needed to have an injury. And going back to the swimming days, they, they ended like. 30 years ago that was well say 20 27 years ago when I was 15 16 your body's very different then you can sort of get over things in a way well I don't know so my brother ended up with a rotator cuff injury and like tennis elbow and he had two coaches over that period of time and one of them was amazing and she would alter his training to facilitate a return into sport and like do more kick sets and like just differing drills that would put less stress. But then he had another coach who essentially ruined his swimming career by then being like, well, if you can't do that, then you can't participate. And he was also quite small for his age um, because boys maturation rates, like you could be 14 years old and be, built like a 16-year-old, but also be 14 and built like a 12-year-old. So yeah. we've got to stop kind of penalising kids at that age based on their size. You just don't know what's going to happen. Um, but like he he was a little bit smaller and had an injury and his coach basically just ruined his sporting career at that age and also kind of ruined him oh. swimming. Like, and, and he could be a phenomenal triathlete and we've talked about him going in, but he, th- he kind of feels like his time swimming is done. I think he bears quite a lot of um, weight from that incident with that coach, mm. with that injury. Coaches have a really big impact. Yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe I was just lucky. Yeah, I think like, because I don't think, and again, it's like a timing thing. So like, I don't think that, so I don't know how much strength and conditioning land training you would have done as a swimmer. Like just towards the end of yeah. kind of, when I was kind of, starting to not be competitive we started to do and this is probably when I was 16 and that was the first time and I think I remember we went to a like a nearby school gym to do some I can't even remember what we did but it was in a gym setting but no there was literally zero strength and conditioning it was literally just swimming yeah and that was the same for us like we started to do stretch cords on pool sides every now and again but like that was kind of, you, you were deemed one of the really good cool swimmers if you did that. So it wasn't kind of open to everyone. And then we might do like a circuit training session, but that wasn't strength and conditioning specific to the planes of movement you move through as a swimmer. That was just a gym workout that was a circuit training session to do something that wasn't in water that was fitness related. It didn't really, there was nothing that was looking at how you could improve your lap strength or how you could work on your midline or how you could then get your hamstrings working more efficiently. Like nothing that was specific that would transfer into the pool particularly. Um, 
and I think even so my brother trained at Bath University and one of the highlights for him I speak on his behalf but I think he'll agree was when he got to train with some of the Olympians um so we had a guy from Barbados we had uh, Virgin Island, British Virgin Islands. They all trained at Bath University because they went to um, went to the uni and then trained up there. So we had a really great array of um, swimmers from different countries. And um, he did a training session with them because he was part of the Bath University, like the, the team Bath squad, and they were swimming at the same time. And, um, you know, that kind of experience for him was incredible. But they only they were kind of just starting to get into the mm. SNC stuff. And that's at that kind of Olympic level, what we're we talking like 10, like 12, 13 years ago. So it has progressed massively since then, yeah. but definitely not when I was swimming and that's when you were swimming. So like for you to have avoided injury, like my brother particularly didn't have any SNC conditioning as a, as an athlete when he was younger and possibly would have avoided injury had he have had that support did have physio to be fair to him but you know it's um it, it's moved a lot but I think I think the the only thing I can ever remember I had like a slip disc in my back or, or what was said oh that's a slip disc but I think a few massages sorted it out so I don't think it was a slip disc I think it was just probably not no yeah that's what they said at the, the sports injury clinic oh it might be a slip disc and they rubbed it a bit, and that was fine. Um, so I don't think it was. Um, but yeah, that was that was the uh, that was the pinnacle of my injury oh. career. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I'm just riddled. I think so. I think it would be my brother would be the the the, the one that would be most poised to speak about injury and sport and that kind of thing because he his his kind of a bit like yourself, Paul, with rugby. His swimming career kind of ended when it should have really been just starting because of this injury that this coach wasn't particularly willing to facilitate and support. And I think that's a real, again, it comes back to those kind of experiences that haven't necessarily happened to me, but I've been exposed to. Um, you know, I would, I would always recommend someone who's swimming with me that if they've got injury or things like that, that they go and see a sports therapist or if it's then reoccurring, go and speak to your doctor about it because actually the NHS is there for us and maybe you need to go get an MRI on something or, you know, and, and actually do push for those things because you're looking after yourself and you're trying to make yourself better. So therefore that NHS service should be supporting you to do that. But if you are not doing anything to support yourself, maybe, maybe even like you could get it fixed by a sports therapist to start with. I would always go and have a sports massage before I would go to a doctor because invariably like I might just be a bit muscularly tight and I need to have some trigger points released and, you know, maybe I'm just not prehabbing and rehabbing very well because that's the boring bit and you don't want to do it, even though it's the most important, but, you know. Yeah. Um, so, like, he he was massively impacted by that and his his whole thing of, like, he's done his time with swimming and that's such a shame because... He was this lad that we used to watch and he was a 1500 meter swimmer. His first length looked the same as his last length. And that you would leave him and you'd, you'd be like, swim faster, Brandon. But you'd look at his times and you'd be like, oh, he is actually swimming really fast. He just so effortlessly moved through the water and there would just be no falter in that. And it, he's the same with all of the sport that he still continues to do. He's very technically accurate in everything. 
Uh, he likes to be very technical, doesn't he? Yeah. Having seen him do CrossFit uh, and Olympic weightlifting, he is very particular on his technique. Yes, almost, almost, almost uh, anal about yeah. it. <laughs> Sorry, Brendan. Sorry, but but then he'll watch videos of me training, and he'll be like, "You need to do this, and you need to do that." Like he's he's a really good, you know, he'll just add and pad little points in for me. So he is, and and I do. I feel like. I hope at some point it shifts, but he's still in his mid twenties. And again, like I think um, you forget how close that is to your teens. So for me going back into master swimming, cause I've put it on the table now I'm 32 now. So I am far enough away from my swimming career as it was to feel like I'm actually a master's swimmer. Whereas I think uh, he, Oh God, he's actually 26 now. So he is a little bit further away, but like it's still relatively close Still quite raw. Still quite, yeah, still quite raw. And like you, you, some of your peers might have only just finished their swimming career, whereas you fast forward another six years and they've had quite a chunk of time out from that swim career. So there's a little bit more of a, a level pegging. Yes, but no. I don't know if that makes sense. Like mm. you, you're, you're out of the situation enough. But Yes, I think certainly for a long time, I felt like I could still do a job. I could still do a job after I was injured. I could still be doing stuff. Now I, I'm old enough and far enough removed from being a sensible age to play rugby that it doesn't bother me anymore. But I still have nothing again go. Do you know what the irony is, Paul? Do you know what the go irony on. is there? You could actually still do a job. Yeah. yeah, do you know what? I'm probably fitter and stronger now. <laughs> exactly. Than I was when I was playing. Yeah. Probably a bit more fragile. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you're like I, I see your training videos. I feel like you're pretty stackers on sorted. I reckon you'd be all right. Uh, I think my knees would be like, no, don't do that. We've had enough. We've had enough fun and games playing rugby. I've also run with you, and I feel like you'd be all right. <laughs> Fair enough. No. Too modest. He's too modest. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite content doing what I'm doing. But that and but isn't that way that's a really lovely place to be? Oh god, yeah, it is. I mean, I'm content but frustrated because I'm so shit at so many parts of it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I see all these other people on the program doing it, and it's like, wow. Yep, all you ladies are absolutely destroying me with the same weight, and. Um, it's humble. It's humbling. Paul, as, as we've said, all you need to do is compare yourself to me and you'll feel good. Not at all, Sean. I think you're smashing it. <laughs> Not at all. Um, uh, uh, comparison's difficult, isn't it? And coming back to what you said, compare, comparing yourself to when you were younger, oh, I should be able to do this, I should be able to do that. That's dangerous as well. And it's, it's about saying, well, this is where I am now. This is what I can do. And let's, let's see if I can do that a little bit better tomorrow. Yeah, and I think that's so like again for me, like the I said, the Ironman a little bit underwhelming, but it really sparked up my interest in getting back into swimming. Like that's I'm far enough removed from it. I want to get back into that. That's really cool. Um, but I've had quite a bit of time out with training again, but not because of booze this time, thankfully. Um, but I got COVID in December, and it it's ruined me. Like like absolutely yeah. ruined me. Like I couldn't walk up a, a slight slope without being out of breath. Now for someone who cuffed an Ironman essentially in August, yeah. it's, um, that's, it's been pretty dramatic in terms of, and again, but all of these things just make me 
more aware of what other people might be going through and why they might not be able to train, which has been so like, I think I'm much more able to see the positives in the bad situations, but I've had to, I had to stop training. I was training like 15 hours a week, absolutely smashing it, living my best life. Like just felt incredible. Like it's great. And then could just couldn't do it constantly fatigued. I actually um, slept through two of my spin classes, which is something I've never done. I've done like over 200 spin classes. Whilst just, on the bike. No, no, I didn't even wow. make a way to get there. Can you imagine? I slept on the bike. Um, but like I've, I've done like over 200 spin classes in the last year alone. Like I've, I don't do that, um, but just got completely brutalized. And I just had to take a step back and go, do you know, like, yeah, okay, everyone else in the gym is doing really great, but my body is telling me, no, I have to wind it back a little bit. And the research is so limited. Like I'm a proper little journal nerd now. I quite like to read what's on the internet so that I know that it's coming from... Uh, accredited sources rather than like the Daily Mail or something that might be hyping something up. Um, And it's just so conflicting as to what the right thing to do is. Uh, Luckily, I've had my heart measured, like checked, and there's no heart issues. So I can, you know, I'm not going to have a, what's it, myocarditis or anything like that. So that's good. I don't want that. Um, But like, again, another, another like bump in the road the, from a coaching point of view, great, because I'm like, okay, now when people tell me they've had COVID, I don't poo-poo it because I think people were only looking at the time that you had COVID rather than the time after. And the time after has been way worse than what I, what I experienced when I had it. Yeah. Uh, by a country mile. <laughs> I'm going to throw in another thing. Everyone's going to hate me. I've never been injured. I've never had COVID. Right, well, get in the bin. Yeah, exactly. I thought you had, I thought you had COVID. No, it's, yeah, okay. But I've never been ill with it. Yeah, you tested positive, but you were fine yes. with it, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't have like that frame of reference to understand, which yeah. like, it, it's a really good point that you say in terms of you know how it feels when people say, oh, I've been completely wiped out with this thing. I'm like, well, I've kind of got, I've got two lines, feel fine. But I, I don't have that frame of reference. And I had like a day where I felt a bit off and then I was fine. Well, what, tell me what it's like to be one of the chosen ones, Sean. It's I just say, isn't it? I've not had it yet. And you work in healthcare? Yep. Right, well, you can get in the bin as well. Yeah. Everyone, everyone <laughs> in the bin. <laughs> everyone get in the bin because I've been miserable. But I know a lot of people that have been in the same position as you. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's like this whole thing of I'm surrounded by people that are really good at sport and really good at their, their individual sports. Like we've got jujitsu going on. We've got uh, cyclists. We've got runners. We've got um, crossfitters, uh, Olympic weightlifters, like so many different skill sets in there. And there's very few of us that have been impacted like that. I'm really fortunate. Actually, my coach was quite badly impacted with it. But again, had all the tests and there's nothing wrong with his heart, which is obviously one of the main priorities. But I I was I just was man down and I felt like a bit of a a weak excuse for a human being because and and it it kind of that battered me mentally for quite a bit uh, because like you say with your swimming and everyone goes so I did talk about swimming again I'd just be like on about so fatigued (laughs) (laughs) I'm like I'm so fatigued but because I knew nothing other than being just like so tired I've had four weeks without taking a nap and that is like such an achievement for this year 
Like I can't even, like that, that's one of my biggest wow. achievements of 2022 is having four weeks without needing a nap. So I've done full days of work, spin classes and a little bit of training and I've not had to take a nap. And that is the biggest win. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Isn't that funny that that's a big achievement in your 30s, not yeah. having a nap? Not having a nap. <laughs> like, wh- who am I? Thank God I am doing a, like a degree because it has facilitated those midday naps when I've like, looked at the screen for 10 minutes, got complete brain fog, been like, I literally have no idea what I've just read. I need to go to bed. And then I'd be, and like my parents came down because I wasn't, I was feeling really unwell and I'd slept all night. I went and took my spin class, came back. It's like, I just need to doze for a minute. Six hours later, out like a light, nothing was waking me. Got up, had some dinner and went back to bed again. Mm. Like, so. It's bonkers. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot. It's a lot. So I'm going to change gears again now. Yes, go for it. Into bikes. Yes, um, and bike fitting. Yes. So I get on a bike, a cycle. I've a very pretty bike in the background. Um, I might move the saddle up and down a little bit. That feels comfortable. Off I go. But it's not quite as. I mean, there's a lot you can do with bike fitting, isn't there? Yeah. So I was not sold on a bike fit until I had one. But when I first started cycling, um, I was. Uh, so you can get lots of things when you cycle, numb feet, numb hands, genital numbness is a big one. Um, and I really suffered with genital numbness to the point that I would not hydrate myself on a ride so that I wouldn't have to go to the loo when I got back because it would be so painful to go to the toilet. Um, so I, and I'd signed up to this half Ironman that I said earlier, um, and I had to do that half Ironman. There was a lot riding on it, uh, mostly my pride. Um, so I, there was no way that I was not going to ride my bike, but it was, I was like, if this is what cycling is about, like, this is not the one, hun, this is awful. Um, and I spoke to a couple of other women that I know that cycle, no one was really having the same experience as me, but I then ended up finding out about bike fit and, uh, I went and had a bike fit done and said about what was going on. And they were like, yep, yeah, that's all things that you can experience and we can reduce, if not get rid of this feeling had the bike fit, started doing like 80 mile bike rides with no drama whatsoever. And it was a game changer in terms of making my enjoyment on the bike. Um, there's, there's like, it can be like the, just two millimeters. Like it can be such a small amount of change impact on that. And I think if you're only going out, if you've got, if you're going out on like a, a, what's it called? Like a hybrid bike, um, which has got a slightly softer saddle to it. It's not quite such an aggressive position. You might be on and off it quite frequently because you're stopping off to have a ice cream or you're cycling to the pub for a pub lunch and you're cycling back. Then it's not necessarily going to be as noticeable. But if you're going to get into the realms of um, going out, even mountain biking, but anything where you're going to be on the bike for a long period of time, your power output can be impacted. Your comfort, the you know, there's so many other things like just it's not an injury but it's like if it feels like you're injured after like the the bruising that I was getting on on in, in my genital area just by sat, sitting on the saddle in this really uncomfortable position was well just awful <laughs> I, 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 if I wish more people would talk about it but people hear the words genitals and 
<laughs> so like I'm quite open with that like that I had really really bad genital numbness that was almost debilitating completely took the joy out of cycling for me had a bike fit and then life was pretty changed cool. your life <laughs> it fixed everything yeah. I'm assuming we're, talk- we're talking about road cycling road, road cycling predominantly yeah. yeah but it does it does lend itself into mountain biking and um, there's different sort of fits and TT cycling so like um, the more aggressive sort of type of biking yeah but it even more, in the sorry sorry Ella it was more yeah. your specific issue Oh yeah, my specific um, issue yeah. is, is road biking. Yeah, yeah. But like, it, it transfers even into a spin class. So I do indoor cycling, and I will make sure that people that come into my class get set up on the bike properly because mm. you see lots of people going into an indoor cycling class and they have the saddle right down low, and so you just get a massive quad pump. You lose the power at the bottom of the pedal stroke because your leg doesn't extend enough. The knees are up there, and then the knees are up down by your face, and and then they're like, oh, I hate cycling on the bikes. It's awful. Of course you do you're so uncomfortable like let me help you make that better and you're, you're slightly confined with the type of bike that you have but you can definitely make it more comfortable the other one is that people put the saddles way too high and then you're having to shift around on the saddle to get to the bottom of the paddle pedal stroke you're overreaching there's way more like saddle too low is a lot less of a issue than saddle too high um, you saddle too low, you're going to lose power. Saddle too high, you can genuinely cause yourself injury and a lot of discomfort. Like your SI, SIJ can be really impacted by a, having a saddle too high. Um, and again, with like overreaching for the handlebars and stuff like that. So it it isn't just on a road bike that it can help. Even just if you're going down the gym into a leisure centre, like knowing how to set up that indoor bike will make your life better. And, then, <laughs> and your class out better. In the... Um in the setting of like say a crossfit gym where you've got the bike ergs yeah and you might you might have you might have some watt bikes around um you can adjust everything about that you can adjust the saddle height you can bring it you know forward and back you can adjust the height of the handlebars bring them forward and back yeah there's no excuse to be in a terrible position even if you're just warming up it's going to have a an impact for sure and so like concept two bikes are a an interesting one because they don't they're not as ergonomical they're not they've not got as many moving parts but like people will quite often have those saddles really high or really really low like but never kind of like (coughs) just a little bit out they're either really high or really low and then then the handlebars like so far forwards you're like how are you even touching that like that cannot be comfortable and you can just you know pull it back and actually you should just be able to relax onto the handlebars and I think everyone just assumes that cycling has to be miserable. And I really, I really want to promote the idea that it, it really does not have to be miserable. You can make it more comfortable. And then if it's miserable, it's probably the set you're doing. But like the initial bit of like the comfort doesn't have to be so bad. See, I've never got onto a Concept2 bike in, a, in the gym without having to adjust everything by a lot. Mm-hmm. Now I know that, Yes, okay. Someone who was on it previously was smaller, was bigger, whatever. But every single time I get onto one, I have to adjust every single thing by a lot. Yeah. Which tells me that maybe people aren't... <laughs> they're just getting on and pedaling rather than adjusting it. But then I think that also comes from what type of induction you have, um, whether you've ever had that kind of information, like do you know how to sit on a bike and pedal it? Here's the screens, off you go. Yeah. Um, 
in comparison to like I mean I'm not a rowing person it's my best mate who does the rowing but like just even people don't know how to row so that people don't get like educated on the equipment so like if you are not a cyclist why would you ever have any concept of the fact that things can be made like because because CrossFit sucks, right? Everything about a CrossFit workout is really hard nine times out of 10. So if you're in a, like a CrossFit facility, you're doing 25 cows, super, super hard, super aggressive on the bike or on the rower or on the ski erg. And then you're moving on to your next bit of exercise. You are not thinking about how to make that bike bit better for yourself because it's a wad of 22 minutes and it's going to be uncomfortable. Whereas actually what you could do is make those 25 cows happen faster because you're not overreaching on the pedals. You can actually generate more power. You can have a better time. It will still suck, but it takes three seconds less than if you'd have left the bike in the setup it was in. Your lower back isn't hurting because you're not reaching forward for the handlebars and you move into your wall balls or whatever a little bit less fatigued than you would be if you hadn't have paid attention to that initial setup. Yeah. You know? I completely agree. And I come from the point of view of going back to swimming in my youth. And before I went into sort of CrossFit environment, and again, me and Paul have talked about this a lot in terms of CrossFit. I've never competitively done CrossFit. It's more just a method of working out. Um, but I did road cycling um, mm-hmm. to a, not, to, not to a decent level, but you know, I, was, I was okay. Um, and I, st- I still... I use my road bike as my bike erg mm-hmm. on the turbo. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I use it now. Yeah. Um, I think it's been about two years since I've been on out on my bike. Um, okay. But I'm still very aware of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do CrossFit. I don't do cycling. Um, I've, got a, I've got a nice road bike, but I still, I'm still aware. I, I need to have it set correctly. It needs to be right because otherwise it just feels wrong. Yeah. And you, you do see a lot of people who use the equipment and you can just tell it's not working for them because it's just for wrong. Sure. They're too upright. They're too low down. The knees are too high. They're reaching too far. And there is, I, I totally agree, there is a coaching element, but there's also, they, do people not feel as if that's wrong <laughs> when they're doing it? But like, how do you know something's wrong if you've never done it right? So I, when I first started going into the gym where I first started training, um, I was, I was not really coached how to do a deadlift, right? And it wasn't until I had someone (laughs) whack me over the shins with a (laughs) wood rod, which sounds really aggressive, but it, it wasn't as aggressive as it sounds like making me think about my body position that I suddenly started moving a lot more weight without the strain. And I was like, Oh, right. Okay. That feels different. Same with my swimming. Like I still have a coach because it's really important. And I think I'm, I'm not, when it comes to a pool, I'm so lazy. I love being coached. And if you set me a program to do and I was by myself in the swimming pool, I'd be like, oh, I'll just have an extra 10 seconds rest. Or I'll just miss that 100 meter off. And I talk to my brothers and they're exactly the same. So I feel less guilty. Whereas in the gym, I'll do my session as prescribed. I don't know what it is about being in the pool, but I'm much better in a coached environment. But like I, 
you'll be told something about how to change what to do. But until you feel how that feels and feel that it's right, you're not going to know that it's wrong, I think. Mm. Maybe. Mm. So perhaps if perhaps that's where that lack of understanding, if people don't know that, like, and like I say, like, respectfully, CrossFit is pretty miserable when you're doing the workouts, right? Like, there's there's a lot of, like, pain in some of those workouts. So if you only go, if you're not programmed and you're just going along to your odd CrossFit class where you're, like, doing a 20-minute EMOM and by the end you're absolutely dangling, let down on the floor, feeling like your life's been ruined, like, how do you know that the bike isn't comfortable if the whole session just hurt? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I would, not all CrossFit workouts are really miserable, by the way. No, but all, they're not. But going back to other types of training, running, swimming, cycling, training, they can be bloody miserable. Like for awful, sure. oh, for sure. awful sessions. For sure. I am um, I, so I run a run club and um I'm basically everything triathlon even though I'm moving away from triathlon <laughs> um and trying to get people to actually run slow like I'm like right we're going to do this and I want you to do this so there's 100 hard 300 easy 200 hard 200 easy 300 hard 100 easy four and four and then we go through that a couple of times people's easy running they're still at threshold and I'm like you're not you're not running easy. Like I want you to try and get down into zone two. There's no egos here. You need to run really slowly. People don't, uh, I think people underestimate the value of that slow and steady recovery, easy running so that then you can see the stark difference between the efforts that you're putting in so that then you can kind of find how to build that pace and you're actually recovering. Recovery is so important and, and not a lot of people that don't have structured training always plan that into what they're doing. So like trying to teach people that that bit needs to be measurable, but this bit needs to be really, really easy and nice. Like that's measurable. Like, so like 25% really, really hard and measurable, 75% really, really, really easy and take it so easy that you could repeat it many, 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 many times. Yeah. You know? Yes. Definitely. And certainly if you are miserable in a workout, you're not going to realise that the bike is miserable to sit on. No. Uh, I was going to ask about Mark Mark Omeron. Omeron, Omeron, yeah. And setting up his bike. Yes. So his, his bike is a bit different from normal people, and I'll let you explain why that is. So he's a triple amputee. So he's got um, no legs below knee. Um, and so he's above knee, sorry, amputee. And then he's got um, one of his arms above the elbow has been amputated. So he's got one full limb. Uh, so he rides a handbike, but with that handbike, he has a prosthetic on one of the arms. So just to say, he did have all his limbs, but he lost them in combat. Yes. Yeah. He's a okay. yeah. six foot two bloke all four limbs, went to war, came back with one. Um, and he's a really interesting man to like follow. And he's, he's really inspiring. He's a, I, I, again, I'm fortunate enough to train in the vicinity of this pretty incredible human being. So it's quite motivational. If you're ever feeling like you can't do something, you're like, well, I mean, let's look at Mark. And I, <laughs> he's really good. Um, but yeah, so I went and fitted his, um, his handbike. 
and he was too far away. Like it's the same concept that because he's using his arms as the the power, he was too far away from the arm the arm handles that were doing the rotations, the way you've got like the uh, t- turning cogs. And so he was losing power at the back end of that stroke because he had to then overreach to be able to bring it back, which is no different to the legs. So it's, it's looking at that um, idea of what the the average bod would do and then adapting to suit the needs of that person. So yes, it's completely different, but actually the biomechanical concepts are the same. The, le- the You're looking at the levers and overextending them and his aren't his legs, they're his arms. And we we fitted his bike and he did a 99.9 mile bike ride on a hand bike in the hills of Devon. He's an absolute lunatic, <laughs> but an incredible one at that. And it was, it was a real honour to be able to work on his bike. He was, um, yeah, just a, a real honour. And it was really nice to have some kind of input to make that better. But it's, it's again, it's not just because you're slightly different doesn't mean you can't have something done to make something better for you. I think... Um, just because that's the way it is doesn't mean it, that's the way it has to be. Yeah. You know, like if you are uncomfortable, sometimes it's a case of having to suck it up because there isn't a way around it. But it's that um, adapt and overcome. I get that from my brother's core sort of Royal Marines thing, adapt and overcome. If there's a, find the solution by looking at the problem slightly more um, peripheral vision, not just in that tunnel vision, there'll be some kind of way to try and make it work that's um yeah so the the arms were the legs so rather than looking at it as the fact that it's his arms what do we do he doesn't use his legs yeah yeah the the power flat spots are going to be the same they're at the overreaching position where you literally nothing's happening yeah which is if you're too high on your saddle you're getting to the point literally nothing's happening at the bottom no so you then you're then having to really really work yeah. And you've lost all that momentum. And actually, that really counts when actually you've only got one arm doing the work because the other arm is a prosthetic. So you haven't, you can't generate the force from the elbow. There's no elbow force on one side. So even, even though he's got one good arm, the other arm that he does have the prosthetic on, because it's above elbow on the amputation, you, you literally lose everything because you have to try and get that prosthetic moving again. Whereas if you can keep it with some spring per se in it, then you can generate that force yeah. more consistently because yeah. the the good arm or the, the, the non prosthetic arm, because I guess his prosthetics are really good. They're working for him. Um, the, the non prosthetic arm can lead and keep that prosthetic arm moving without it getting into a dead space. So, you know, yeah. so I did, um, do you know Trainer Road? Is that still, is Trainer Road still around? Maybe it was like overcome by Zwift. Was like yeah, Zwift the thing yeah. now? So Trainer Road was like a kind of FTP training mm-hmm. online program. I'm going back in 2014, 15 when I was doing a lot of cycling. And over the winter, that's what I did on the Turbo Trainer, like on the laptop. And you basically did an FTP test and then you followed a program to get your FTP up. Yeah. But during during the sessions, which they were pretty hard, kind of sticking at your your FTP, following the line on, on the screen. Yeah. <clears throat> but it came up with and I know it was to just keep you focused and not to get you distracted from 
if you were reading something on the screen, you were less likely to give up yeah. because it was distracting you from the pain <laughs> of what you were doing. And they're talking about the quadrants mm-hmm. in terms of the like each sort of the down each and then the, the pull. Stroke, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so the kind of pedal stroke of rather than up down, it was forward back. Yeah, so you were kind of like flipping over then pulling back then kind of moving yeah kind of like more like 45 degrees being yeah. stopped so kind of down. doing that all the time yeah. i imagine if you only had one <laughs> one leg or one arm the flip is more difficult and the yeah and i mean i think so for mark he'd never done anything like that before like mark is just this incredible human being that you challenge him to do something and he'd be like, yeah, all right. He's like that. He is the epitome of that Richard Branson quote that's like, say yes and learn how to do it later. Um, he, like, like he is, he's done some phenomenal things for charity and to raise awareness and just like to be a motivational human being. And um, I don't I don't know whether he would really, because he would be naive to it potentially. So he was quite happy to go in to do the bike ride without any adjustments because he doesn't, and it goes back into that, it's just going to be painful. So whatever we do, it's just going to hurt anyway. The same in the CrossFit class with the bike setup. He doesn't know any different. So for, for him, I wouldn't, wouldn't really get that kind of feedback because he's also not then doing the cycling again. But for sure, with the changes that we did make, he noticed a difference in his training that he did. But I'm not sure that because it's something that he's looking to continue because... I would you and that would be really tough <laughs> um he, but but I agree I, I agree with the concept of that but in terms of actually knowing whether that is a thing or not I, I don't know because he hasn't mm. then continued with it um so I Fair don't know enough. whether that would sit but I mean it would be an interesting point to kind of consider if he did decide to get back in the bike I would like him to do a full triathlon that'd be pretty sick mm. <laughs> but I suppose the summary of that is anyone who rides a bike just get it fitted properly yeah you're gonna gonna have more fun (laughs) but don't get lost in the technology of the bike fit either like i think there's a lot of companies out there that can um offer lots of gucci lasers and measurements and stuff and that's cool but it's the person doing the fit so like you can get all of these numbers but what do they actually mean if you've got someone who's really good at bike fit regardless of what gucci kit they've got they will get you a good fit. So go on recommendations from people more than looking at what the technology is. Mm. Um, there's a, there's some re- there's some really cool people online that use like the bikes that you can adjust whilst you're on them. They're ridiculously expensive. You have to have a lot of money to be able to invest in one of those, but they're great because you can do the changes as you go. So that's really cool. Um, but like the the technology is secondary to the person who has the knowledge. I think like that's that's probably one of the most important bits. So go on recommendations, but definitely like bike fit, even if you don't think you need one. And, and my dad's a prime example of this. So like he is a very stoic kind of individual. Like he, he grizzes through lots of stuff. He's really he's really determined. He's he's the reason, like I said earlier, that I do a lot of the sports that I do. He didn't think he needed a bike fit, and we only changed uh, a four million total of measurements. But his overall enjoyment and uh, comfort on the bike, he's like, I can't, what did you actually do? I can't believe this. You, what, how did you do this mystery? Like, um, So like 
even someone who was so invested in it not working for them, because he'd be the first person to tell me as my dad that I wasn't doing something that was worth it. He'd just be like, that wasn't a thing. Um, you know, he was he was really bought into it. So it's definitely um it's definitely something that anyone doing anything bike related should be looking at, but also then having awareness with like we say it doesn't just go onto road biking like you don't have to be a bike nerd to need to understand how a bike fit can work for you within the parameters of the equipment that you have that's exactly yeah that's exactly what i was thinking in terms of i'm just being stared at by a postcard <laughs> literally just eyes at me like looking <laughs> at me what are you gonna say now anyway um just yeah even if it's just recreational biking with your kids just even on your kid's bike just make sure the bike fits them yeah and i think that's a really important point that anyone can just take away just make sure your bike fits because you'll have more fun yeah for sure when are you back in wiltshire (laughs) (laughs) i can make a special trip for any time that you know get the whole family done i actually i actually do have a few a few people that want them so i could actually tie in and try and come back <laughs> i may i may hold you to that yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, was there anything else you want to say sure uh no no <laughs> so i except for you know where can people find you Ellen? um so i'm in plymouth i'm based out of a fantastic gym called pantheon uh, which which no one will be able to see, but you guys can get the glory of my uh, ring. What <laughs> what part of the one ring to rule them all? Um, so I'm at Pantheon Plymouth. Um, I'm also so I'm, my business is Pedal Stroke. So I'm on Instagram as Pedal Stroke, and also on Facebook as Pedal Stroke Plym. Um, and I'm based on at Devil's Point for the swim stuff. But I, I do come back to Wiltshire, so I am in the Wiltshire area, and I do so like I do online bike stuff as well as. Uh, in person um, so cyclists can get in touch as well and just be careful if you see Ella going into the sea because sometimes she likes to just take her top off and do tits to the world or tits yeah, to the wind we, isn't we, it we do have tits to the tide it is a thing tits to the tide sorry yeah the tide it's yeah it's, so um, did, did the boys not do willies to the wave or something like that that was your idea wasn't it willies to the wave <laughs> no not me Someone put that on one of my pictures. Um, yeah, no, but it's very liberating. So why not? Why not? No, nobody really cares. No. Very de-sizing. The weather's, you know, that water's cold. Yeah. I do. Well, it's freedom. <laughs> it's freedom on a whole new level. Yeah. And also just like um, that, that being there, like, so we've got like Fogging Tour on Dartmoor. We've got the sea. We've got all these little beaches. And you just, yeah, like, why not? Like, life's for living, right? The endorphin rush that you get off of that is is something else. Yeah. It's really good. Right, that's it. I'm off to the white horse. <laughs> Willie's to the wave. Willie's to the white horse. That's it. Willie's to Westbury. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, no. Paul, Paul, I'm going to expect a naked <laughs> training session. Ah. Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Set up only, there we go. Then. Only, only fans. Naked yeah. garage workouts. Yeah. Na- naked squats. Oh God! Which, which which direction do you t- put the camera? So it's so it's facing the <laughs> ceiling, <laughs> and I'm not in shot anywhere. Yeah, I realise I've just said there actually. Yeah, no. <laughs> God, let's edit this bit. 
This let's, just let's, let's break the edit rule. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I've managed to not swear the whole time, and then we finished off with talking about willies on videos for OnlyFans. Yeah. That's yeah, it. That won't get me struck off the uh, register at all, isn't that? No, not at all. Fair enough. Um, I genuinely think we should just end with that because that's a good yes. place to end. Yeah, that's definitely. a good, great place to end. Yeah. Um, Ella, thanks very much. No, thank you very much thank for your you. time.